Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and I would invite you to uh, come along with us for this because we've been in a study of the book of Acts, and we're continuing on through that. And I know that it seems kind of slow right now, but I have to take this, I have to take my time in the very beginning chapters of Acts because there is so much that happens that it establishes the foundation of the church, and without the foundation of the church, uh, we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing today. So that's why we're spending so much time. But we'll finish up chapter 4 today. So I'd ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Acts chapter 4. We're going to jump into verse 23, and we're going to read through uh, the remainder, or we're going to kind of go through verse by verse. But if we've learned anything at all so far in our study of the book of Acts, it's that the apostles have indeed become witnesses of Jesus Christ. Can we all agree upon that? The apostles have become witnesses of Jesus Christ. And after all, uh, this is what Jesus said would happen. Because if you remember Acts 1.8, he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power from on high and you will become my witnesses. And he says you'll, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, uttermost parts of the earth, Samaria, all of that. And, and, and so this is what's happening. And we've seen that there has been a change in these men's lives and the women too, and that their boldness and their ability to stand before the high council that we talked about last week, this uh, intimidation that they were faced with, they stood up in the face of intimidation. It was something that the apostles uh, would have probably, I say, and I think, they would have cowered down to this um, before the day of Pentecost, before any of that happened, before the Holy Spirit came. But now they're standing up in the face of opposition. They are standing up unwilling to bend under the pressure of the religious elite of that day. And in the beginning of chapter 4, we saw how that Peter, he was arrested and put on trial because he was talking about Jesus. And because he's talking about Jesus, you have the chief priest and you have the scribes and you have the Sanhedrin and you have all the, the, the chief police of the, ta- of the temple, all of these different people, they don't like it, and so they arrest them. And they come and ask this question in verse 7, why are you doing this and by what power and by what name are you doing this? And that's when Peter jumps into talking about this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, the cornerstone, the name by which no one else can be saved, and blah, 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 blah. He just starts throwing this out at him, and Peter doesn't blink an eye. And he stands there and gives it to him just as clear as it can possibly be, be given. And so the crooked counsel that he's standing before, they didn't like what was being said about them. So, but, you know, but the idea is what could they do? I mean, the truth is the truth, and sometimes you don't really like to listen to the truth. You don't like to hear the truth, but Peter's giving them the truth. This goes back to Jack Nicholson. You probably can't handle the truth, right? And, and so this is what Peter's like. I don't care if you can take it or not because I'm going to give it to you, and he gives it to them. And so they thought about it, and they, they make a decision. They had two options. They could do a, a couple of things with Peter and John that are standing there. First of all, we could whip them. We could beat them, you know, we could whip them pretty good. And, and this would have been punishment for getting out of line. But as they thought about it, they were, they were intelligent guys. They thought about how bad the people would revolt because all the people that are there that day, they, they know, they know old homie over here who was crippled for 40 years. They've been hanging around this guy. They've watched him every day. They go into the temple and they see him sitting there for 40 years. He's been crippled. Now all of a sudden, Peter and John come up. They touch the guy. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this guy starts walking, and the Scripture says that everybody's blown away. So if they beat Peter and John for what's happening, there will be a revolt. So they said, well, we probably can't do that. 
So they give them a warning. They slap them on the wrist and they let them go. And so they, they command Peter and John, you stop teaching in the name of Jesus. That's in verse number 18. You stop doing that. And they were released. And before Peter and John left the courtroom, this is what he said. And I want you to look at me in verse number 19. Look with me there, verse number 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of, sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So in other words, Peter said, I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> you might think that I should, but I'm not going to. This passage that I just read for you, I want you to pay close attention to it just for a moment before I get into chapter, verse number 23. I want you to think about how important this is to those of us who have truly experienced the life, a new life, I'm going to say, the life of freedom that we experience in Jesus Christ. I want you to understand how important this is. Do you know why this is so important. The reason is because when Jesus steps into your life, he rearranges your life. Whether you like it or not, Jesus comes in and he rearranges your life. Now, it's not that he comes in and rearranges the living room. He rearranges everything. Everything chaotic in your life, he comes in and he rearranges all that. And you know if you've experienced that, you've, you've experienced something special. And when Jesus touches the situation, and you know that there's no other way that this could have turned out as good as it did, you know that Jesus has done something in your life. Whenever you see families reunited, when you see broken hearts mended, when you see lives turned around from where they were, you know, in the crack, in a ditch, doing crack, to now serving Jesus and praising Him, and leading other people to Christ. When you see something that dramatic, you see an alcoholic walk away from it, and they are delivered from those things. When you see someone who is addicted to adultery, and now all of a sudden, they're not running around doing those things. They understand the importance of what it means to have a somebody in their life. This is not a making and a doing of their own. This is something Jesus has done. We know that God has shown up. And whenever these things happen in our lives, what else can we do but do what Peter said? I can only talk about what I've seen and what I've heard. And whenever something like this has happened in your life, you can't do but talk about and, and, and look at and tell everybody about what has happened in your life. That's all that you can do. It's not like you can't do your job and you can't do something. Yeah, you do that. But all of these other things that you do now, all of a sudden start pointing back to what Jesus has done in your life. And guess what? Whenever you begin to speak or testify, I should say, of what you have seen and you have heard, I should say, experienced in your life, from the working of Jesus in and around your life, you are doing exactly what Jesus said would happen to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. You will become witnesses of me. So that idea did not die. That idea is still alive. The idea that we are supposed to still be witnesses of Christ is still going on. He has not put an end to that. It's still supposed to be working in our lives right now today. It's still supposed to be working through the church right now today. This is where we make the biggest difference in the world. It is when we speak up 
We speak out about what Jesus has done in our life. And I want to ask you this question. How are you doing in that area in your Christian walk? How are you doing there? You see, now we get down to verse number 23. And it says this. When they were released, they went to their friends. I want you to circle or highlight that in your Bible if you have it. Their friends, because we're going to harp on that for a while today. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders said to them. First of all, I want to point out that that is exactly what they do immediately when they are released from the prison. They go to their friends. Think about it for a moment. We all have friends uh, in some form or some fashion. Some of us have more friends than others. And I'm talking about, uh, I'm not just talking about how many, how many numbers you have on your friends list on your social networks. All right. I'm not talking about these people you think are your friends on Facebook. I'm talking about these people that really want to be your friend. These people that really want to be in your space because they find value from you being in their life rather than them just being all up in your business on social media. Can I get an amen? Amen. These are the differences between, that's the difference between friends that I'm talking about. Peter and John didn't get out of jail and then just post it on Facebook. They went to their friends. And they sat down with them, and there's a huge story. I'm going to unload on this all over the place today. And I'm referring to this this real-life deal, real-life friends, people in the flesh. And I know it's kind of hard for some of us to think about that. Like, what does that actually mean to sit down across the table, look at somebody eyeball to eyeball, be close enough to get spit on? Fellowship. A lot of us don't know what that is anymore. Uh, and we were, you know, we're keyboard warriors nowadays, and we like to put it all out there on, on social media. I'm talking about this real life stuff. So in more recent days, you might have heard people call it the tribe, their tribe. You know, you've, you've got, you've got all of those types of things. Whenever these, these people that I'm talking about around Peter and John, they went to their tribe or their friend group as soon as they were released from custody. Now, my question is this for you this morning. Do you have a friend group like that? Do you have a group of people in your life that you can go to like that? I'm not talking about putting it on social media and the very first words that come on your, out of your, out of your little keyboard there, rant. And the reason you put rant out there is because you want everybody to read your rant so that they will comment about your rant so that you can have a little bit of time in the light. Just go ahead and like it or not like it. It's just the truth. Do you have a friend group that would actually get on to you for knocking on the door if you showed up at their house? You know that you don't knock on my door. You walk into my house. Do you have a friend group that as soon as whatever has happened in your life, you know full good and well that you can go to them. I don't have to call them. I don't have to see if they are socially active. I don't have to wonder if they've made a tweet in the last two seconds. I don't have to wonder about all of that. I can show up at their house. I can call these people if I need to. They will show up at my house, and we can, we can do what needs to be done. Do you have that? This is where I'm going to stay all morning. So if you're uncomfortable, you're going to be uncomfortable for about another hour because I got a, at least an hour's worth of notes. <laughs> Nobody left. That's a good thing. So can you imagine just for a moment that here we are and we're, the, the John and Peter, they come, they come back and 
Everybody, everybody in their friend group, you know, they, they've been keeping up with what's going on. They were there when the arrest took place. They knew all of these things happened and, and, and all of these things. But Peter and John come in the house. Can you imagine what's going on whenever John starts talking? Let's just say that somebody else is sitting there. Let's say that Mark is sitting there. And he said, man, you should have been there, Mark. You should have seen how that Peter stood up to those gangsters. Gangsters? Yeah, the Sanhedrin. You should have seen how he did it. You should have just, just, you should have seen the fire in his eyes and how that he, well, Peter, how did you do that? Man, I don't know, but there was something that came over me. Kind of like that day, Pentecost, when it happened that day, it felt just like that, man. And I just could not shut up. And Peter just let it all out. And so they're all sitting here. He, Peter's not worried, John says. He, he, he wasn't worried. He wasn't concerned. He was just, as the Scripture says, and we'll get to it in a minute, full of the Holy Spirit. John looks over at Peter and says, Hey, Pete, I've seen you bold before, man, but how did that feel? How did that feel? Peter just tells them how it feels. This is what it's like. This was my experience. And they just go on and on and on. And I want you to pay close attention to what happens whenever these guys leave their crisis situation and they go to their friends and they start unloading all of this with each other. Look with me in verse 24 and pay attention to what happened in this corporate prayer. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, they address him, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And almost even before Peter and John could finish telling the story, everyone began lifting their voices in prayer. This may or may not be important to some, but I find it interesting. And I even, you know, even though it, it says that they all lifted their voices in prayer, there was still only one prayer voiced here. And some commentators have suggested that everyone prayed the same prayer under divine inspiration. I don't, I don't believe that's the case. Instead, I believe, uh, kind of the way, uh, A.J. Alexander explains it. Whenever he said that there was one person praying, the whole company gave audible assistance is the way that he puts it. Audible assistance. So in other words, kind of like the way that, the way that Justin was praying for me just a moment ago. He was praying, I was saying yes and amen kind of thing. And that's how I, I view this happening. I don't think that all of them are sitting there. I don't think there's a whole lot of confusion. I don't believe there's any confusion going on here. Uh, whenever this one person begins to lead the group in prayer and all of them begin to lift their voice, yes, amen, praise God, sovereign Lord. And they are agreeing with the one who is making this prayer. What we do know is that they were instructed. They were told here, we are instructed in the scriptures that we are to come together and we are supposed to pray and that there is strength in numbers. That's what we know. Whether it's, you know, however that goes, I just thought it was a good idea to list, list, or to speak of that. What we see here is that the entire group of friends, they're coming together and they're praying together. And let's take a look at what they actually prayed. Verse 24 to verse number 30. And whenever they heard it, they lifted up their voices and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness with your stretched out uh, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice how they begin the prayer again, sovereign Lord. And the majority of this prayer has to do with the sovereignty of God. Him doing what he says is right, doing what he thinks is right. And if you if you read this prayer a little more closely, you're going to sense that there's a hint of cynicism here. The prayer is quoted from Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. When David wrote these words, he was giving praise to God over all things. But I want you to notice what he said there, verse 24. The Lord has created everything. Verse 25, why do all these people plot in vain against God? And this is where I'm coming from. It's like the cynicism is like, they're like, well, I mean, we can just do what we want to do. Yeah, God is the one that's in control, but but we'll do what we want to do, and we can just overrule God. And the, 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 the disciples are praying here. They said, God, why are they doing this? Do they not know who you are? Like they're wasting their time. They're out here doing all of this. You have already set this in place. This is what's going to take place. And here we are, Lord, just doing what you've led us to do. And God, you're going to continue to work and you're going to continue to be the one who is magnified. So in other words, the prayer is giving praise to God for being the one who is in absolute and complete control. The prayer meeting turns into a time of praise, a time of worship, a time of adoration. And I want you to notice what the apostles pray for. Pray for. Look with me again in verse number 29. Pay close attention to what they pray for. Give us the ability to continue to speak your word in boldness. Verse 30, while we're spreading the gospel, Lord, you continue to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. In this moment, it would have been real easy for them to start praying for protection, praying for a way out that they don't get into trouble, into all of this chaos anymore, before, so that they don't have to stand in front of those inten- intimidating uh, religious mafia, the Sanhedrin again. They don't want to go before them again. Instead, they ask for more opportunities to share the gospel. Man. What in the world are these guys even thinking? And whenever you look back at what Jesus said, you can clearly see that what Jesus said was going to happen is coming to pass. You will become witnesses of me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We can see a difference between who they were and who they are. We can see a change in their life when the Holy Spirit came into their lives. He changed them. They are different. Now, should our lives today change like the lives of the disciples? I think so. Verse number uh, Acts 1-8, I'm going to read it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And when we look at these men, like we're talking about here in, in Acts 4, it looks like we're talking about two different groups of people. In the way that they're acting, they're, they're so different. Jesus told them that they would be his witnesses when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The question is, in our day and time today, when does the Holy Spirit come into our life? We've been talking about this since we began the book of Acts, especially when we got into chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, and I began to explain those different things. I understand what Luke wrote here in the book of Luke. 
I mean, in the book of Acts. Whenever you look at what Luke did, he wrote this book as an account of what was going to take place or what did take place among the apostles in the early church. But I also know that today we are living in the same, listen to this, dispensation as they were living in. The word dispensation is a system, a set of thinking, a set of ways, a time period that is the exact same as what was then is now. The thing that is going to change the dispensation in which we live is the return of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change it. Because Jesus came from the time that he came to the time that he comes back again. Everything that he said the disciples and the apostles must be doing, he has said that we should be doing those things as well. It has not gone away. If Acts 1 and 8 was written as something that Jesus said to the disciples and to the apostles back then, even if it was 2,000 plus years ago, it still stands as the truth of the words of Jesus Christ. It still stands as the gospel for us today. And if he said that this should be happening to the disciples then, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power from on high. You will become disciples. I mean, followers of me. You will become witnesses of everything that you have seen, everything that you have heard. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will not be able to do anything but talk about what you've seen and heard. But what is wrong with us? Crickets. What's wrong with us? Scared is not an excuse. Not when the Holy Spirit's in your life. Now I know we're talking about a hundred plus people in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes. You don't read about everything that happens to every one of them. You don't. Because all of them have different gifts and different abilities. Nonetheless, they're all included. This group of friends, we don't know how many of them were there. I presume, I believe through my studies, that they went back to Mary's house, Jesus' mama. That's where I believe they were at. And they're sitting there. What's Mary's gift? You never hear Mary standing up in front of a council preaching, teaching, doing any of those things. But I guarantee you, the Marys and the Marthas and the other people that didn't have those gifts, I guarantee you they were doing whatever they needed to do so that Peter and John could go out and do what they needed to do. And do you know why they were doing that? It was because they were full of the Holy Spirit. And they were doing the things that the Holy Spirit had gifted them to do. But you see what the common norm, and God help me and please y'all understand me, I am not throwing daggers this morning. It rips my heart out. It hurts me. To listen to people talk about how, how much of a Christian that they are, and you never, ever see any difference in their lives. You never see it. It's the same old, same old, same old thing. There's never a change in your life, but yet we, we'll, we get baptized, and we'll say, oh, yeah, I prayed a prayer. I shook the preacher's hand, and I did that. And, and man, I'm telling you, it's just one of these things. We just, we just continue going down the same track. We keep going down the same track. And if not, if not the same track, it's almost like it gets worse. Oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You know, there was no such thing as a Christian until they saw the difference in what these people were doing. Because nobody has ever acted like this before 
We killed the guy, the last guy that acted this way. We hung him on a cross. But we can't hang these guys on a cross right now because they've got 5,000 followers now. And the Sanhedrin scared to death to do anything because everybody's going to revolt. There's going to be a riot. They're going to kill us. Put somebody else in charge. And so they, they back up. And they start saying, these people must be Christians. That's why you see the polls today. That's why you see where they say, like I shared with you last week, that 75% of all professing born-again Christians today, they believe that there are multiple ways to get to God. Because there's too many Christians, and there's not enough followers. There's not enough believers, people that really believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's not enough people that really believe that when He comes into your life, He changes you. He changes you. It is not supposed to be this, and I'm not mad. Gosh, help me, I'm not mad. I want you to understand that when He comes into your life, He transforms you from the inside out. He makes you a different person. We cannot stand in front of the people in this world and talk to them about the difference that Christ has made in our life when there's no difference in our life. Do you understand? You have to understand today that we have more cohabitation happening between men and women in the churches that claim that they're Christians than there are in the people that do not claim that they're Christians at all. In other words, that means that you're just living together. I don't understand it. The Bible tells us that it's a sin and that it's wrong. But yet, it's okay. It's not. Like we're, we're, we're Christians, but we're strung out on Saturday. We're drunk on Saturday. But that's not what happens to the church in the book of Acts. That is not the change that takes place. <sighs> Sorry I made a mess up here. Don't worry about that, brother. I'll slip and fall all over. Visitors might not come back today after today. I'm just, man, I'm just telling y'all, guys, there's. What I'm talking to you about today is serious business. This is serious business. And we all, every one of us, me more than you, I'm going to have to give an account. And there's a greater responsibility on my shoulders than it is on yours because I'm a pastor. And because I'm a pastor, thanks, brother. Because I'm a pastor, I have to tell you the things that you don't want to listen to. You know, I have to say the things that, that's hard and difficult. Man, I'm, I have made a mess up here, Hatton. I'm sorry. I should have had a stouter pulpit, huh, Brother John? Whenever... Whenever I stand before the Lord, whenever my name's called and I'm, and I'm up there where Jesus is, 
I do not want him to look at me and say, you should have, you should have said such and such. You should have done a, you should have done this different. Brother Joey, I'm not as bold as you. Okay. That's fine. But what does it have to do? Your Christian walk, what does it have to do with the way that you're just living your life? I'm not even going to finish my message, all right? I, I, I just feel like I'm saying what the Lord wants me to say. I'll, I'll finish chapter 4 next Sunday. The way that you live your life out there is more important than what you're doing right here. And I'm just going to be just as real as I can be with you the rest of, rest of this time. I've had long talks with almost all of you in here. Long talks. Some of you are really, really on fire for the Lord. Larry gave his heart to the Lord. He was baptized. And the man that led him to Christ was not me. That's what the church is supposed to do. I'm supposed to be the one, according to what the Apostle Paul wrote in the Scriptures, to stand up here and preach and teach in a way that equips you, the church, to be able to go out there and do the work that Jesus called us to do. And the reason that we see the things that are happening in the world today, dads, listen to me, because all this falls down on your shoulders. It's because you just let it go. Just let it go. It's easy for us to let it go. We just, we let all of this stuff out there in the world weigh us down. And because we're, we're so weighed down with all of these things, we think that we should run to everything other than Jesus. And our families watch us run to everything other than Jesus. And when our families watch us run to everything other than Jesus, what do you think they're going to run to whenever they are your age? Everything other than Jesus. There has to be somebody that's willing to stop and change it. Turn, hit that, hit the reset button and change. There's got to be somebody that's willing to do that. And what you're going to find out next week is that that's what you do with a friend group. I had 10 pages of notes and God won't let me preach it. <laughs> because there's something more important that needs to be done here today. Something more important. You need to evaluate yourself. You have, Miss Penny, just come on. We're going to get ready. You have to evaluate yourself right now today. Where you stand. Guys, there is no excuse for us to be walking around in the world telling everybody that we're, that we're Jesus followers, we're Christ followers, and we are living our lives like all of them. This has nothing to do with how often you're at church, how much you pay in tithes, how often you're on Wednesday nights, what Bible study groups you're going. Has nothing. I could care less about all of that. It has everything to do with the way that you're representing Him out there. Acts 1 verse number 8, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and we believe as the Bible teaches that you're not saved unless the Holy Spirit invades your life. He's the one that you can't be saved and not have the Holy Spirit in your life. So how do we say we are saved, we are Christians, but yet we don't do what Acts 1 8 is telling us that we should be doing? Well, Brother Joey, I, I'm not like you. Thank God, because we'd have a bigger mess than we have up here. I don't want you to be like me. God doesn't want you to be like me. God doesn't want me to be a brother Tim or a brother John. He wants me to be me. And He wants you to be you. He wants you to go out there in the world and reflect Him. Reflect Him.
This is my question for you today. Ain't none of this prepped, all right? It's not prepped. I just believe the Lord's telling me to do this. He tells us in the Scriptures, and this is just my analogy, we should be a reflection glass, a mirror in the world that's reflecting His image into the world. That's what we're supposed to be. My question for you today is, is do you need a little Windex and some paper towels this morning to kind of polish your mirror up some because there's a whole lot of world that's gotten smeared on it? If that's you, we're going to have a time of prayer around the altar. That's what we're going to do for the rest of this, this time. We're going to have prayer. Are you a couple here today? A married couple? You're wanting to get married couple? You've been married for a long time couple? Maybe you're just friends and you need to help each other. What better time? Like I have set the stage and made it wet. It's ready. Just come and let Jesus clean it off. You can't do it by yourself. You know, we talk all the time about how we want our country to be better. But are we wanting everybody else to get better? Are we wanting it to happen to everybody else rather than us? And if we really get to the bottom of it and we really start thinking about it, we really don't want to come out of our comfort zones. We really don't want to change. We want everybody else to shape up so that our life becomes a little bit easier. But what if it has to happen with you? What if you are the Peter? What if you are the John that says, I need you to stand before this council. I need you to stand before the school board. I need you to stand before the principals. I need you to stand before the mayor. I need you to stand before the governor. I need you to stand before the president. How about this, mom and dad? God looks at you and he just says, I need you to stand before your children. Because we think so big and we think that all of these other platforms are where we need to be. And he's already given you the platform that you need to be on. Take advantage of that. Let me pray over you. Father, right now today, I know, I know that I know that I know that you are working today. And I know that you're moving and I know that you're doing the things that, that only you can do. I can't. I can't do it. And, uh, and I'm just going to turn it over to you, knowing without a doubt, God, that you're going to work and you're going to do big things. You're going to start changing lives. You're going to minister in the hearts and lives of people today. And, and without a doubt, Lord, you're going to be the one that's glorified. Because I'm not going to take credit for it. Nobody else here is going to take credit for it. We're going to lift our hands to you. We're going to praise you. And we're going to thank you for what you are doing. We give you the praise for it all. Thanking you, God, for your Holy Spirit that is still strong, alive, and well today. And I thank you for those that are willing to hear your voice, listen to you, and follow after you. So, Lord, help us to be submissive to you. Help us to be willing to just come along beside our partners, our friends, and to just say, hey, you know, I, I don't know how well I can do this by myself. I sure could use some help. And they come right along beside us. And boy, we could just, we could keep moving forward. So God, right now, 
Let a change happen in our lives right now today. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, church. Even if this altar gets full, you kneel at the front of the chairs. Kneel down where you're at right now. If you need prayer, just pray. Give it to Him.